Hello and welcome to the River's Edge Church Podcast that will bring you the message and hope with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today you will listen to Pastor Dave Johnson. Pastor Dave has been in a series in the book of Mark, so make sure you listen all the way through. And now, here's Pastor Dave. Good evening. Every year on Good Friday, we come back to the cross We come to the cross and watch and observe our Savior taking our sin, our shame, our own lostness onto Himself so that we can experience true freedom, true life, life that is really life. When we come back to the cross and we observe the darkness of this moment, we observe the horror of the moment, but we come to the cross to experience Jesus and His kingdom. And today, we're traversing through the book of Mark as we do our Good Friday service. And uh, today, we're looking at the book of Mark in, uh, in this. If you've been around REC for the last couple of months, you know that we've been walking, kind of crawling through the book of Mark. And today, it all kind of converges in this trial and in this cross. And this is what we're looking at today. We're looking at the man who would go faithfully with his father's mission, even though he knew it meant certain death. And in the book of Mark, everything converges onto the cross. All that happens in the peripheral, all that happens in the beginning of the book, it all converges in this moment on the cross. It's where all the themes come together. And so my hope this evening is to show some of these things to us just not only to see the genius of God, but it asks us, it begs us to ask a few questions of Jesus. Questions that I think that if you answer can impact your life, not just now, but forever, for all eternity. And so as we turn to the cross today, before we get there, I want to go back to the beginning and remind us who Mark says that Jesus is. Because Mark reminds us right in the very beginning of his gospel, in his story that he has to tell about Jesus, just who Jesus is. And there's these three things that we're going to look at. That Jesus is the Son of God, He's the Son of Man, and He's the Son of David. And these three titles come just roaring back to Him on the cross. Mark 1.1 starts with this declaration actually from Mark. It's probably Mark's only commentary in the book of Mark. And it says this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Son of God is a title that reveals Jesus' divinity. This keeps coming up in the book of Mark over and over and over again that he is the Son of God. And it'll come back up in the cross in a really big way. In just a couple of verses later, Mark, or Jesus would get baptized by his cousin John in the Jordan River, and the heavens would open up. Mark 1.11 says, And a voice from, came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love with you. I'm well pleased. This is what the Father would say when the heavens would rend and open and look at Jesus. You're my son, the son of the Father. I'm pleased with you. This affirmation of Jesus' identity is done by his own Father in heaven. And it's huge. It's Jesus' identity as he does his ministry and as he goes to the cross. 
Jesus likes to also call himself son of man. In the next chapter, in chapter 2, he's healing a paralytic, and, and he gets all these questions. He, well, he actually knows the Pharisees have questions in their mind. They don't ask them. He, he knows their hearts. And he responds to the wonder that they have in their own hearts by saying in Mark 2.10, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins because he told the man, your sin is forgiven, get up and walk. So he said to the man, get up, take your mat and go home. The Old Testament, the entire Old Testament is looking for Daniel's son of man. In the book of Daniel, when we looked at this in our Mark series, the book of Daniel says that there's one coming that's seated at the right hand of the Father on the throne room of heaven, and he is something like a son of man, like he's fully human, like he's all that Adam couldn't be. He would actually stand the test of sin, and, and he would stand up to the beast of sin, and he would overcome it. He would pass the test that Adam couldn't pass in the garden, that there's one coming that's a son of man. So Jesus called himself this over and over and over again. He's called son of God, son of man. And then in chapter 10, a blind man actually sees him coming. Think about that. A blind man sees him coming. Probably heard Jesus coming. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. These three titles, son of God, son of man, son of David, Son of David is a royal name. It's a royal declaration because everyone back then knew that the Messiah was going to come in the lineage of David and that the, the one who would save Israel would be this new son of David. So in chapter 10, somebody sees or hears Jesus coming and says, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he's not just saying son of David. What he's saying in this moment is Messiah, the one who's come to save us, the one who's come to be the new king, have mercy on me. So as we walk closer to the cross, I want us to remember that Jesus is the son of God. He's the son of man, and he's the son of David. Pastor Bethany shared with us the Last Supper moment and that Jesus had this meal with his disciples. And after this meal where he goes and agonizes in the garden and, and he takes this cup and he says, Lord, take this cup, this cup of his suffering. But ultimately, he says, not, your, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. And God doesn't take the cup. Jesus has to carry that cup. And that cup is the cup of his own suffering. And he's betrayed by Judas. Something really interesting in the passage surrounding his betrayal is that a woman anoints him with oil, very expensive oil, and the disciples are shocked by how expensive this is. To that woman, Jesus was worth everything. To the disciples, they couldn't even stay awake when he was praying. Jesus was worth something, but they were tired. And to Judas, Jesus was worth 30 pieces of silver. What is Jesus worth to you? So Jesus is betrayed by his disciple Judas. And we come to those moments 
where he's put on trial now before the Sanhedrin, before the temple establishment. The temple establishment, which he would kind of berate a couple chapters earlier, between chapters 11 and 13, he would talk about this temple won't last. And it's partly because Jesus is the new temple. And they questioned him, and his own people put him on trial. And all these titles came together here, and they said, in Mark 14, 61 through 62, says, But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. They were questioning him. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. These titles are coming back. The titles from the very beginning of the book of Mark are all coming back into his trial scene now with the Sanhedrin. So when they say, you're the Messiah, they're saying, are you the one that's coming in the line of David? They could have said, are you the son of David? They say, are you the son of the blessed one, a.k.a. are you the son of God? And then Jesus says, I am the son of man. All three titles are right here converging in these scenes. The question that Mark has been asking and the disciples have been asking and that all the crowds have been asking is, who is this man who's turning Israel upside down? Who is this man that we're amazed by? Who is this man that our hearts yearn for? Who is this man? And this question gets answered in his trial and in his crucifixion of who Jesus is. This is a divine moment because all these titles come together. We see clearly who he is now, 2,000 years later, but the ultra-religious people thought that they were doing a good service for Israel. They can't see. Their eyes are clouded to what's happening right in front of them. So when Jesus admits that he's the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One, he calls himself Son of Man, they began to beat Jesus. And the most interesting thing happens, Mark changes the scene at this point, and we're not going to read this text today, but we all know it, that at the same moment that Jesus is getting beat on and spat on, his closest disciple, Peter, is denying him to a servant girl. The disciples have now fled and betrayed him. They've scattered Peter is denying Jesus. The times that Jesus needed his followers to stand up for him, Peter couldn't even do it. But what Peter couldn't realize at that moment is that the beating that Jesus was taking was on his behalf. It's on all of our behalf. So when they take Jesus to the, to the Romans and hand him over to Rome, now here's why, by the way, they hand him over to Rome. Under Roman occupation, the Jews are not allowed to use the death penalty. So what they have to do is some swift political maneuvering to, to make it so that the Romans kill Jesus. And it's actually, it works to their advantage because they don't want to be known as the guy who killed Jesus. So what they do is they, they say, okay, Rome, we're going to put this on you. We're going to put the death of Jesus onto the Romans. And it made it look like they wiped their hands clean and, and they don't have any blood on their hands. And when Pilate even questioned Jesus, he found no reason to kill him. And Pilate didn't even really want to kill Jesus because if he did, there could have been a rebellion on his hands. But instead of actually governing, he let public opinion govern. 
this is never a good idea. Mark 15, 6 through 15 says, Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what they usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. They shouted all the louder, crucify him wanting to satisfy the crowd, almost putting the death of Jesus back onto the people. Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. This is a key moment in the Bible. It's a key moment in the book of Mark. It's a key moment for us. We have this guy named Barabbas, which is kind of interesting, this guy's name. It means son of the father. Barabbas. And if you have Jesus, who back in chapter 1, the Father split open the heavens and said, this is my son. We have Barabbas, the son of the Father, and Jesus, the son of the Father. And not only that, Matthew gives us a little bit better of a detail on who this Barabbas fellow is. He says this, Matthew 27, verse 16 says, At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. The trial of Jesus, the scene, makes you for, it forces you to choose between two Jesuses. Which Jesus do you want? The Jesus who's going to lead this rebellion against Rome and be an insurrectionist and the one that the, the, the Jews would call a freedom fighter, but the Romans might call him a terrorist. The, that one, do you want that guy who's led crowds and hundreds and thousands and built arms and, and built systems to defeat Rome? Do you want that guy or this guy, Jesus, who's, he, he's a curious guy. He's walking around he, like healing people and he's riding in on a donkey and he's not doing the things that Messiah should do, but he's called the Messiah, which one do you want? This is really the cosmic question. It's the question then between the Jews and the Romans and and everyone who was at this scene, which Jesus do you want? And it's the question for us today too. We like to rewrite Jesus into our brain as this butt-kicking Savior who's going to kick butt and take names. We do. We rewrite Jesus into our own image to say, well, if Jesus were here, he would do this. No, Jesus was here and he took the cross. We rewrite Jesus into Jesus Barabbas all the time. So the question at the trial and crucifixion scene that Mark wants all of us to choose from is which Jesus do you want? Of course the crowd wanted Jesus Barabbas. Of course they did. If you free him, there's a good chance that he could get a group of people back together and that he could go and get rid of Rome. But this other Jesus guy, it doesn't look like he's going to do that. So of course we want him. Our vote, Jesus Barabbas. He's the best candidate. 
Maybe one day he'll save us from this rebellion. Which Jesus do you want? The victorious, the victorious hero. We want instant gratification. We want the, the Jesus that will kick the Romans out and make them pay. But in God's wisdom, we didn't get the Jesus that will throw the death that Rome brought out, but will absorb it. We didn't get the Jesus that will retaliate, but we got the Jesus that will redeem. The true son of the father loses the popular vote. He loses popular opinion, and he still does today. But make no mistake about it, Jesus of Nazareth took the place of Jesus Barabbas. It was the first substitutionary act of Jesus. He took Barabbas' place on the cross. And doing so, he took the place of all of us. Barabbas is a rebel. Folks, I got news for you. So are you. So am I. We are, own, we are all rebels in our own right. So Jesus takes our rebellion. He takes our shame. He is the true son of the Father, and he's handed over to be crucified. And, I, and I'm not going to read the next section of it, but what happens is that in a very Roman way, in fact, in an exactly Roman way, in the same way that they take the Roman emperor and make him king, they put a fine robe on him, they make a crown and put it on him, they give him a scepter, and and they hail him in the exact same way they do this to Jesus to mock him. They use all their customs for enthroning somebody and they do it for mockery onto Jesus. And I, and I know that it, Jesus felt real pain. Jesus bled. Jesus, I'm sure, wept. But in this moment, he's being enthroned as the king of the universe. And then Jesus would absorb the fatal death blow of Rome. And this is where the sin of humanity would be dealt with, where Jesus would reign victorious. And then in Mark 15, in the crucifixion scene, verse 33, it starts by saying this, At noon, darkness came over the whole land, and, and at three, until three in the afternoon. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema shabbatani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Some ran. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine and vinegar and put it on a staff and he offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who was stood in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. He echoed what Mark had said all the way back in Mark chapter 1, the divine name. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus quotes Psalm 22 and if you were to read all of Psalm 22, you would see Jesus on the cross. It's impossible not to see that. But why have you forsaken me? Why am I rejected and scorned by my own people who loved me and who were amazed by me? 
Why am I sacrificed as a political pawn of Rome? Why am I denied and abandoned by my own followers? Jesus, who was wholly forsaken and exposed to the humanity, the horror of humanity's sin. It is the horror in total that in his dying breath, he senses the separation from God because of the sin of humanity. And in this, even his cry is misunderstood. They think that he's calling on Elijah, probably because Eloi sounds a lot like Elijah in Aramaic. And also, if you're a good Jew, then there's some, there's some legend that Elijah will come because Elijah has, uh, is one of the prophets who just ascended to heaven. And so there's this idea that Elijah helps prophets in distress. So that's why they said, well, let's see if Elijah will come and save him. But with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The miracle maker, the one who'd walked on water, the one who'd caused other people to walk, the one who cured blindness, died. It was unthinkable. And two things happened. One, the curtain was torn in two. This is a curtain that separates the Holy of Holies, where God Really, God's presence is, his glory is. It's the veil that keeps God separated from his people. It both protects people from God's holiness and shows a separation between God and his people because you have to be totally clean and pure to be there. And now this veil is torn. The death of Jesus removes the barrier between man and God. This is what it does. This is why we call Good Friday Good Friday. Because it removes the barrier. The curtain is torn. The Holy of Holies is open. And Jesus' personal presence, the personal presence of God is available now to all humankind. And there's another note, and we know this because there's this great historian named Josephus who tells us this. That the temple curtain was decorated like the heavens like the heavens and earth, and it was this finely made tapestry when God's people were in Babylon, they made this temple curtain. And I found it really interesting that Isaiah 64, 1 says this. It's a prayer. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Rend means rip. Oh, that you would rip through the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. And there's the earth shaking as Jesus is crucified and dying. Because Jesus on the cross, the sin barrier between you and God is forever torn. He's pleased to forgive your sin. It's literally his life's work. And then probably because the curtain is torn in two, there's this most amazing confession. This centurion we don't know Maybe he was involved in the the beating, mocking, probably somehow involved in this crucifixion of Jesus because he was there. Whether it was the beating, the mocking, whether it was the nailing, whether it was any of these other things, this man was complicit in the death of the Savior. Many paintings have envisioned him and artist renditions have envisioned him holding a hammer. And I love that vision of it. And we don't know if that's true or not, but I love that vision of it. And ironically, in the book of Mark, the confession of who Jesus really is doesn't come from one of the disciples. 
And it doesn't come from the chief priest. It doesn't come from Pilate. It doesn't come from anyone else. It comes from the captain of the execution squad and thus an enemy who would first declare that Jesus is God's sin. Son, the cross is the supreme revelation of Jesus as God's son and hence this title which derives from God, surpasses all other titles. Whether Messiah, Son of Man, Prophet, Teacher, or Lord, the cross is the birthplace of faith. For the centurion's confession is a saving confession. It was the birthplace of that centurion's faith. And it could be the birthplace of your faith too. What Jesus does for us on the cross The cross is the intersection where God meets humanity. The centurion met the living God in his death. His saving confession is not predicated on a prior knowledge. It's based on proximity to Jesus. It's based on him standing right there and seeing this man die for him. His enemy would die for him. Wow. Paul would say we were once all enemies of God because of our sin. But because of what he did for us on the cross, because of his victory over death with the resurrection, we know that we're saved through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. So that through the cross, the world might acknowledge him to be the son and share with him this joyful access to the Father. So as we close in this time today, at least this time of preaching, I want to leave you with a couple of really good Good Friday questions. Good Friday is really a time for us to ponder. It's a time for us to reflect on Jesus. It's not a celebratory service, as you might have seen already. This is not jump up and down Service. This is a time to reflect on what Jesus has done for us. So the first question I have for you is, what Jesus do you want? The political hero, Barabbas, or the one who will quietly take his beating? Do you want Barabbas, the one who public opinion is for? I mean, everyone really likes this guy. You should too. Or do you want the one who's going to absorb the death blow of Rome the death blow of all of our sin so that we could have access to the Father. The next question, who is Jesus? Do you have the same confession that this Roman centurion has? Surely, this man is the Son of God. All through Mark, we get these titles. But the load-bearing Christological title comes from us, comes to us from a Roman executioner. Surely he is the Son of God. Who is Jesus? Lastly, the, the, the last question I have to leave you with today is, have you made this confession? When you make this confession that surely Jesus is the Son of God, the veil is torn, the heavens are rent, he comes down. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the love that you have for each one of us. God, for taking each one of our sin. Lord, you didn't have to do it. 
but you took on my sin. You took on our rebellion. Lord, you are son of God. We confess that before you today. Search our hearts, oh God. Remove in, any, remove in us anything that is not pleasing to you. Help us to walk before you humbly. God, we thank you for loving us so much that you would bear the load, bear the weight of our sin and that you would give us a new vision of who you are, the Son of God, the one who will make us new. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast with Pastor Dave Johnson. If you are hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode. And for that, we want to thank We hope you enjoyed this new episode. And if you did, please leave us a review and share with your friends. For more information on the ministries at REC, check out our social media pages. The links are always in the description.